Welcome to A Little Bit Radical, a business podcast from Standing on Giants. I'm Rob, your host. Join me as I meet people and organisations who are doing things differently, challenging the status quo and yes, might just be a little bit radical. Company volunteering. What does that make you think of? If you're anything like me, you're now thinking about litter picks and painting a fence at the local old people's home. Nothing wrong with that, but today I'm speaking to Fung, founder of Matchable, who are on a mission to shake up the world of corporate volunteering and CSR. Matchable, as the name would suggest, matches your company volunteers to projects in charities and high-impact organisations covering a wide range of skill sets and interests. From web development and coding, to legal advice and data protection, to HR and recruitment. I can't wait to hear more from this powerhouse founder, Fum. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. I'm excited to be here. I love that you described me as a powerhouse. That very rarely happens, in honesty. <laughs> that was a great start. Well, having only had a few interactions with you so far, Fung, that much was clear to me. So, Fung, if you are a little bit radical and you're on our podcast, so we know that you are, what do you think in your early life set you up for that? That's a really good question. I think, actually, my early life, so I'm Asian, as you can probably tell from my name, and I actually grew up with very Asian parents. So what you might describe as a tiger mum, that's the mum I had. So a very strict upbringing. And the whole idea behind how I grew up was like security and success and kind of working hard at something stable and getting a great job as a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant were very important um, kind of values actually and measures of success when I was growing up. And I think that's where everything started. And I would say I am probably a little bit radical because I spent all of my life up until very recently, up until I started Matchable, kind of living someone else's version of success, I would say, and adhering to a lot of the values that my Asian parents were hoping, uh, well, saw as successful. Up until then, I think I was very kind of conventional, I suppose. And so Matchable and breaking out into startup and doing my own thing and doing something that really speaks to my purpose is probably where I got a little bit radical and there was probably a bit of a rebel in me in trying to do that as well. I love that. So ultimately, we're talking about the ultimate rebellion against your parents. And that's why we're here. That's my main motivator, clearly. <laughs> For those who aren't familiar with you, so were you growing up in the UK with Asian parents? And where in the UK were you? And were there lots of other Asian kids at your school? And how much were you aware of that when you were growing up? I was born in London, and not to tell you my whole history, that could take quite a long time, but I was born in London and I lived here until I was about nine years old. And then my parents moved back to Malaysia, so I kind of continued my education there. And then I came back when I was 18 for university. The thing I would say is that my parents love setting me up for a challenge. So they actually, although we were living in England, sent me to a French school because my mum actually watched a documentary on the, at the time, the building of the Eurotunnel and how French was going to be the next big language and we're all going to be blended. So she sent me to a French school. She didn't speak any French. None of my family speak any French. And so I was kind of 
thrown in at the deep end and I was in the French schooling system up until kind of secondary school and my mum again loves the challenge so when I did my A-levels I did both the English A-levels and also the French baccalaureate so really trying to overachieve in all aspects of life yes can you remember back to when you, you were a child and with your peer group, did you feel that you had an especially sort of strict regime that you were being encouraged to work harder than your peers? Did you have to do double homework? Did you have to do extra things while others were being allowed to chill? It's like you know my life. Um, yes, my mom had a, an interesting way of motivating me. I think I have to say like I get a lot of discipline, obviously, from how I was brought up and I have an ability to kind of, I would probably say, endure a lot of things that I don't like as a result of how I was brought up. But my mum had a way to incentivize me to get pocket money, which was if I came top in the class, she would give me a pound. And if I didn't come top in the class, she would take away a pound. So on average, I was up, which was nice. But it also meant that I had to go around and ask all of my friends what marks they got as well, which was not a good look for me, if I'm honest. But I do remember times as well when I was at school and obviously it kind of worked. I suppose I was quite a disciplined child. (laughs) But all the little French kids that I was with, um, all of their parents would come to them and say, I can't believe you're you're getting less marks than someone who isn't even French. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) So that, that was an interesting experience overall, yeah. That's absolutely fascinating. And I think there's something interesting in there for me, because that sounds like a bit of an all or nothing mentality, like you have to be the best or, you know, it's irrelevant. Has that been an idea that you've challenged as you've grown up? Yeah, I think it was interesting because I definitely up until that point had an all or nothing mentality. But I think it was very driven by my mum because I actually as a person, as I've grown up and gotten to know myself, eventually leaving home and going to university, I realised that I'm not really that competitive at all. But it was kind of embedded in me because my mum actually was a competitive person herself and is very kind of alpha, I would say. And, you know, there's definitely loads of advantages to that. So, yeah, it it was an interesting journey. Of course. Well, many guests have nicknamed this section the therapy section of the podcast. So I want to release you from the therapy section. One final point though, which is that you talked there about how being sent to a French school as an Asian person living in Britain, you know, threw you in at the deep end. That experience surely has helped to build a lot of resilience in you, which is very helpful when you're in the startup world and a founder. Yeah, definitely. I would say all of that discipline that I grew up with has really helped me not just in startup world, but also in my career. So I was previously um, 13 years at one of the big four accounting firms. So I was an accountant doing transactions in real estate and private equity. So very different. But that also was, you know, it's quite a challenging environment. And again, very competitive. And there's a lot of hierarchy that you're trying to kind of climb up this ladder. So that did prepare me really well for that. Yeah, I think it really helps in terms of resilience in startup. But the other thing as well that it's helped me develop 
being thrown into all these different kind of cultures and situations is just being a bit more adaptable as well. And, you know, kind of being in the French call, but being Asian and being the only Asian and non-French speaking person, you know, you do kind of end up, you know, being a lot more adaptable to different cultures and being able also to get on with or having to get on with a lot of different types of people. And that's really helped me as well, not just in terms of people, but also in terms of being adaptable in startup world, because as you know, every day at startup is school day, literally. It's really interesting, Fun, because you're um, talking about something which has linked a lot of our guests on this podcast, people who grow up to be kind of radical thinkers and founders, being exposed to an experience as a child that most people just don't. And I think that's a perfect example and probably planted some sort of radical seed even if you sort of led a conventional path for a little while so i think i know the answer to this but as an adult do you think that you've got more radical or less radical <laughs> definitely more radical I think one of the things, so as I mentioned, I actually followed my Asian version of success and my parents' version of success as a good Asian person. What happened was when I sort of turned 35, I had a bit of a millennial moment. I'm a late millennial, or maybe maybe a few more than older. Respect. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, go late millennials. So basically, I had a bit of a moment, actually, where I realized that what I had been doing, which was, you know, being an accountant at Big Four with a stable career, all that kind of stuff, wasn't really aligning anymore with my values and what I wanted to do with my life in the future. But I also didn't know what was, but I kind of left that company to, I suppose, very in a very millennial way, find my purpose. That's how I actually found Matchable. It was me sort of breaking out of that Asian version of success and maybe the more kind of, you know, expected version of success that I had been brought up with. So we're going to move on to your work now. What was it about volunteering that captured your imagination and led you to found Matchable Volunteering? And what was that initial phase of starting the business like? So when I actually left my old job, and as I mentioned, I was looking for my purpose, I think the reason that Matchable as a concept and volunteering in particular, and the way we do volunteering at Matchable really resonated with me, was because I feel like if I had had the opportunity to do more projects like the ones we offer at Matchable, she definitely discussed, I would have had that itch scratched, I suppose, in terms of finding my purpose and feeling like I was giving back or doing something bigger than myself while at work, you know, which maybe wouldn't have led me to be so radical in leaving my job uh, to find my purpose. And I think that's really where the volunteering aspect and doing something really impactful resonated with me in terms of Matchable. But how I actually came to be the founder of Matchable is an interesting story. So Matchable itself was actually an idea that came out of an incubator called The Good Lab. And The Good Lab was a collaboration between the innovation teams at eight of the UK's largest charities. So that included the British Red Cross, the RSPCA, WaterAid, all coming together to try and think up ideas for businesses that would solve some of their collective problems as charities, but would also ensure that they didn't have to rely so much on fundraising and could prove that they could make money in different ways. So they actually invested some very, very early pre-pre-seed money 
insurmountable as a concept because they actually were finding that a lot of companies were coming to them, as you mentioned, Rob, earlier to try and paint fences for them or paint their office or plant trees in their gardens. All kind of very worthwhile and things that needed to be done. But also they realized that the people who were coming to do this were actually very skilled people who uh, could offer their skills to them that they needed, actually. And so they had set about testing this idea of skills-based volunteer matching and they thought it was a viable business idea. So they actually put out an ad for a founder. And that's when I applied. I was on a sabbatical from my work trying to find my purpose. And this idea really spoke to me because I really felt like it would enable me to help other people who maybe had been feeling like me in their jobs, you know, find that sense of purpose as well. Wow, fantastic. I didn't realize that you applied for a job. Yeah. <laughs> How interesting. Is that quite a unique founder story or is that more common than we might think? It was interesting because when I was trying to find my purpose, I took a three month sabbatical and during that time, what happened was I actually always had a fascination around startups. So I had started a community while I was still at my old job called Suits and Startups, which was all around bringing people in the city together with startup founders. And through that, I actually had interviewed a lot of founders and really found them so inspiring, you know, having an idea and having that courage to make that leap. When I started exploring that world, I actually realized that, you know, you always hear about startup accelerators that, you know, when you have a startup, you go into that and it helps give you structure to grow, which is amazing. But before that, you have startup incubators that are basically just these hubs of creativity where people come up with ideas for startups and then they recruit a founder and, you know, potentially a whole team to build that idea and see if it'll work. So I started hanging out quite a lot at those places. There aren't many, but there's some that are really cool. So you've got like Founders Factory or Entrepreneur First, like, and I think there are even more now. But I started really exploring the idea of being a founder. And so that's how I ended up applying. So I think there are more and more founders who become founders that way. But maybe they also, you know, once you're a founder, you kind of own your ideas. So maybe you don't mention the incubator so much that you come out of. Well, I think it's a really important point to make, something that personally I'm quite passionate about with this podcast, actually, is sort of abolishing the idea of gurus and the, the idea that these businesses are started by just one visionary person who does everything from the idea through to the execution to the marketing. And we all know that the reality is that there's big teams of people behind any success. Is that something that you think this world and that community you were building was really trying to champion as well and shed light on? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially now in the age we kind of live in, like being a founder is actually like a viable career path. I think before it maybe was, you know, and it's actually seen as something really cool to be a founder of a startup. I say cool, that's probably an outdated word anyway. But (laughs) (laughs) Millennial word, it's okay. We're we're millennials here. I'm I'm glad to you know, I'm in a safe space. I do think it is becoming more and more commonplace. And also, I think generationally, people are, I would say, you know, we employ Gen Z employees as well. Like they have a lot more confidence in themselves and also in what they believe in. So I do think it is becoming a little bit more commonplace to just have people start a company 
just based on idea and try and build that. And I would say they don't necessarily have to be, obviously they have to have a vision, but maybe it's less about the kind of big personalities necessarily like the Elon Musk of this world or the Mark Zuckerbergs or whoever, you know, you might think of when you necessarily picture a founder. I definitely think there's a lot of effort in actually trying to diversify what a founder looks like and how they are as well. Like I definitely... I'm not that kind of founder. I hate public speaking, <laughs> although I now have to do a lot. You're doing very well considering from. Oh, thanks, Rob. I really appreciate that. I bet in one-to-one situations. But yeah, like <laughs> big groups, you know, trying to bring along lots of people. You know, that is not something that everyone has as a quality or likes to do or wants to do. You know, it does help with bringing people along, but it doesn't necessarily make you an amazing founder. And you can get other people to do those things. That's the key, right? It's about understanding what you're good at and understanding what you're not good at and just finding other people to do those things that you're not good at, right? Isn't it as simple as that? Yes, it is. I love that. And if I could give away all of the things that I didn't want to do to people who would be much better at doing them, I would love that. And that is definitely one of my goals as we grow the company. Is that the main struggle of being a founder where ultimately you are stuck with a lot of things that you don't enjoy and don't feel very good at for a long time? (laughs) I would say it's definitely one of the struggles. I've not found it the main struggle. I think what is interesting is as a person, I'm quite a generalist, I think. So I'm quite happy to dip into lots of different things. But one of the things that I realized becoming a founder and being so excited about even calling myself a founder for the first few months and then realizing that what that actually meant was that I literally did everything (laughs) from like payroll accounting all the way to like hiring and recruitment and everything in between like actually delivering the services like sales and pitching and all that kind of stuff especially in the first year because it was just me like the reality of it is like you say like it's quite different and actually you know like that saying where you're like oh if you do something you love then you'll never work a day in your life like that's not true (laughs) that's not true because I love what I do but it is also hard work like you need to put in the effort in order to make it happen I do think that as we've fundraised and as we've grown we've been able to hire some incredible people who, you know, the idea is always that you hire people who are more creative or have more skills than you in specific areas so that they can grow that part of the business. And one of the things that I really believe is that none of us as a team have ever done this before. So everyone's ideas are just as valid as everyone else's. You know, I hire people into roles where they really can take ownership of that part of the business and develop it because they then become the expert in that bit of the business. And they actually then end up having the most and best insight into that as well. What a fantastic answer. Thank you for sharing that from. It's about time that we talk about volunteering again, isn't it? We've talked a lot about being a founder. What is the experience of volunteering through the Matchable platform from both sides, from a volunteer themselves and as a business that wants to kind of run their volunteering program through Matchable? How is that different to how things have traditionally been? Just to explain, I guess, and give some context around the employee volunteering market or industry, I suppose. There are lots and lots of volunteer matching platforms out there, which is really nice. Like, obviously, we all have the same common goal of getting resource to organizations that really need it. 
And so the goal of a lot of these employee volunteering platforms, including ourselves, is to enable people to find opportunities quickly, you know, know where to look. Because if you reach out to a charity yourself, it can take two to three months to even hear back from them, by which time you might have just, you know, kind of lost interest uh, or you're busy and you're doing something else. And even finding that organization can take time because obviously different people have different interests. And so what employee volunteering platforms are about are around streamlining that process, connecting you with a charity that has an opportunity available, and then making that as easy as possible. So we obviously endeavor to do that as well. And that is the core at the core of what we do as a platform. The two things that make us different from other employee volunteering platforms are um, firstly our UX, so our user experience. We've designed an algorithm specifically that will match you to your perfect project. So you take a 60 second quiz. We always say it's where we sound and look a little bit like a dating platform, but we don't have any swiping involved. So that's important. Um, just clicking. So our UX is different um, and quite unique to us. So you take a 60 second quiz and get matched to a project literally within minutes. Our fastest match was in three minutes. And then the other thing that is really quite unique to us is the way that we curate and source the organizations that you find on the platform that you can volunteer with. So one of the things that we have really tried to emphasize is the ability of, for someone to make their biggest impact in the time that they have. So making volunteering accessible, but also flexible around employee schedules, because often they get given one, maybe two or up to like kind of five days of paid volunteering time a year. And it can be very disruptive to take like a whole day out to volunteer. So what we do is we say, if you have one paid day of volunteering, think about it as seven to eight hours that you can spend over the course of the year. And our projects start from as little as 30 minutes, one and done online. If you only have 30 minutes available, you want to know that what you're contributing is making the biggest impact for the organization you're volunteering for. And so what we've endeavored to do is curate our opportunities. And we have 500 organizations on the platform that are live at the moment that we have actually actively gone out to source to ensure that every opportunity you volunteer for is high impact and or innovative. So just to illustrate the point, sometimes it's a little bit hard to picture. Just to mention a couple of my favorite organizations at the moment. Yeah, go for it. So one of them is called Choco for Peace. They're a social enterprise that reskill Colombian cocaine farmers into cocoa farmers. And they use blockchain to make sure that they're fairly remunerated. So like super innovative, and really basic. impactful, exciting and very meaningful, obviously. One of the other organizations I'd love to mention is an organization called Resting Reef. And they're actually an impact startup that came out of the incubator at Imperial College. And what they've done is they've taken the problem that is, you know, kind of cremation and, you know, what to do with, I guess, people's ashes after they pass away. And they combined it with trying to regenerate the marine ecosystem. And what they found is that actually the compounds in ashes are really quite, you know, kind of resourceful and helpful in regenerating that ecosystem. So they now create reefs out of people's ashes and place them back into the water by the sea to help that marine ecosystem regenerate, which is an incredible, when you see the reefs as well, they're just so slick and 
amazing. So yeah, another one of the projects that you can actually volunteer for through the platform. That is absolutely incredible. I'm struck by a few things that you've said. So first of all, your user experience, taking process of volunteering down from three months to as little as three minutes. I think that's an incredible achievement. And then your two projects, which I'd categorize as cocaine to cocoa and cremation to coral. I love that. I'm going to use it. (laughs) But I suppose what strikes me about those, okay, these are not your traditional volunteering opportunities at all. And actually, these are not traditional charities necessarily that that you can get involved with. There's a huge range of organizations out there that you can volunteer your time to do. And, And I hope that you can tell us now about the types of skills that you can volunteer as well. Because again, it's, uh, I believe it's not just the traditional kind of helping to cook a meal or paint the fence or dig the garden, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, I suppose that just from a impact organization, so we call them impact organizations, but that encompasses for us like nonprofits, so charities, social enterprises and community interest companies, as well as impact startups. We always start with the needs of the impact organization that we're supporting. So you know that when you're volunteering your skills, you are really kind of helping them with something that they truly need, which is not always the case in other situations. So that's the first thing. But I would also say in terms of range of skills that people can volunteer, it is literally anything and everything. A lot of the time, the organisations that we support are just really happy to have someone who is so skilled. Obviously, the companies we work with have some very, very skilled people already working with them to a really high standard, very creative, very organised, you know, in all of their domains. So having that opportunity to, you know, like kind of have the CEO of Dentsu, you know, come and write a blog for you, which actually happened. Oh, wow. You know, it's really cool. So a lot of the time, I think even though someone comes with a skill that maybe, you know, like isn't immediately something that can be put to use, like often the organizations will be like, oh, actually, yeah, that's something we do need. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that they can put those amazing skills and experience to use as well. Brilliant. So as a volunteer, you can attach yourself to an organization, even if there's not kind of a perfect opportunity right now, the organization are going to want you on board and they might help to find something appropriate for you, right? Obviously, we do show up with a skill and the way that we do it is that we, during our 60 second quiz, we have all of the kind of typical skills that you can select. So things like all the way from project management to ops, to sales, to marketing, to tech and data analysis, all of those things that you can volunteer. But we also have general skills that you can volunteer. So that includes all skill projects like mentoring, but you could also be like testing an app that, you know, helps improve people's mental health and giving feedback. And that's something that anyone can do. We try to match projects based on those skill sets that you've selected. But I would say often we end up either with teams of people who have lots of varied skills working on one project together or even offering more than they anticipated, I suppose, on those projects. Brilliant. Well, I think there's going to be lots of people listening to this podcast who are going to start a campaign for their company to sign up to Matchable, I think, so it sounds fantastic. Give us a few words just on the benefit of volunteering to an organization that's running a program like that? I mean, like one of the big companies that you work with that run their volunteering program through you. What's the benefit to them for their employees to go out and help these impact organizations? 
Yeah, absolutely. There's some obvious ones around, obviously, the companies themselves now have a lot of the companies we work with have their own company targets, either centered around ESG. So we fit into the S, the social part of that, or CSR, which is kind of maybe people aren't using that term so much anymore, but basically just making sure that the company is not just profit, but also purposeful. And we fit into that agenda. So from a company perspective, sometimes we see companies actually having targets for you know, um, for example, 50% of their employees to vo- be volunteering every year by 2030, which is, you know, aligned to, you know, the year when the UN Sustainable Development Goals um, targets are as well. So they also align to the UN SDGs and we track that. So from a company perspective, they often have some KPIs there. But then also from a benefits to the company and an employee perspective, there's a whole bunch of reasons that we've seen that people offer volunteering. One of the things that is quite like employee sort of led at the moment is that, you know, often these companies will do employee surveys and, you know, they'll ask a question as to, you know, like, how do you perceive the company is giving back in the community, for example? And employees will be like, yeah, you offer volunteering, but actually we're not able to take it up. You know, we're not really sure how to do that or we want to do more. And obviously that aligns with also the company's values in trying to promote themselves as a company that cares, obviously, about the community, but also about their people. So that's one way that we end up kind of getting into companies because employees requested us and obviously aligning with the whole kind of Gen Z and millennials sort of purposeful and also like kind of very environmentally and cause driven generations. The other thing that we found is that, you know, a lot of companies do it because of retention being able to tell people or put on a kind of job ad the fact that they offer employee, employees paid volunteering days through Matchable. We've actually had people join companies because they saw that we were being offered, which was a real nice feather. Oh, amazing. Our, our little cap. And the other thing actually that is quite specific to skilled volunteering is that also there's an L&D angle. So you can actually upskill your staff because you're basically allowing them to use their personal and professional skills in a completely new environment, right? That will test, you know, their marketing skills in a different way and make them think laterally and really prepare them for the future of work, you know, which is all about, as you know, like being adaptable and having a workforce that is a bit more agile. So that's another reason people come to us. And yeah, and then there's also the whole kind of PR angle as well, you know, being seen to be a company that actually does live their values. So we have a lot of posts around like impact value delivered by a company or hours volunteered and all that kind of good stuff too. Fantastic. Yeah. So a whole number of reasons. I mean, I particularly, it resonates particularly with me, the professional and personal development angle, I think. And the idea that actually giving your employees an opportunity to break out of the day-to-day to impact another organization really feeds into that kind of collaborative ethos that you've brought forward here. I just think that's fantastic and probably a lot more effective than a lot of typical training programs, I would wager. So Fung, I'd like to bring you out of the day-to-day now, out of the world of company volunteering, unless you choose to keep us there, it's up to you. But What's your little bit radical idea that you'd like to see in the world at large that perhaps you're not impacting every day? I think it is world changing, but maybe more on a personal level. One of the things that I've actually realised that I'm struggling with the most recently 
is the fact that actually from a work perspective and working really hard and doing day-to-day stuff, that actually is potentially quite manageable. Just day-to-day, obviously, volume of work can be overwhelming. But one of the things that I'm finding really is draining my energy quite a lot, and I think is something that can be quite draining, is the kind of mental and emotional energy that I have to put into managing people and different people and personalities. And that's not to say it's something that I don't want to do, obviously, but, but I think there is a real difference between like kind of the emotional and mental energy required to make sure that everyone, you know, in your company or even, even in your life is happy because it can be so up and down and all that kind of stuff. And obviously depends on individuals kind of, you know, experience of that day, etc versus just doing tasks at work. And I don't know if there's an actual solution for this, but if there was a way to actually, you know, make that a lot more manageable, I don't know how you manage other people's emotions or, you know, obviously I think some of that is called therapy. (laughs) But I think maybe there is something around, you know, everyone being more aware and better educated or even just being more open to saying, hey, today, like, you know, I actually... And my capacity in terms of mental and emotional stuff that I'm carrying. I can't take your load today. Like I can't support you. And I think just maybe more openness around that could be quite helpful because I feel like especially doing COVID and coming out of that, everyone always has so much stuff going on and it can rear its head at any point. And I think as a person, I try to be as supportive as possible, both in the workplace and also outside with my friends. But sometimes... I've got a lot going on as well. And it's really difficult just to say, oh, hey, I'm really sorry. I've got my own stuff. And maybe this is just something specific to me. But, you know, like I can't, you know, support you today with X, Y, Z that you're dealing with. And I think particularly in the business context, I find that boundary quite hard to draw because I know what it's like to have someone manage you who doesn't care, I suppose. And I always wanted to make sure that my staff never felt like that but I feel like maybe sometimes I go the other way so that was a long-winded answer to give you not a solution no really interesting fun I think you've raised some really important issues so the whole idea of emotional labor which is often an unseen labor tends to fall on women mostly both at work and at home often not talked about not recognized that actually as I say mostly women are picking up this extra job you know, <laughs> alongside the job that men are doing. So, and there was lots in there as well as just about being able to be transparent and authentic with the people that you're working with as well. And then I also love just the general everyone going through the therapeutic process and working on themselves a bit so that they perhaps don't become such an emotional burden unnecessarily. You know, we all need support from time to time. And so we're coming to the end of our conversation now. Sadly, it's been fantastic to talk to you. The last question is always the same. If there's someone listening to this podcast who has a little bit of a radical idea for their work or a new business or perhaps for their personal lives, what would your advice be for them to get started? I would say definitely do it. (laughs) I think when I left my sort of previous job to start matchable and do something different well actually I didn't leave it to start matchable I just left because I realized that what I was doing day to day wasn't what I wanted to do long term I had nowhere to go and actually 
I realized that job or, you know, like you can always go backwards, if that makes sense. So any decision you make now that might look like something really big and intimidating because it's career changing, life changing, etc. And you want to be a little bit radical. You can test them out, basically. And the idea of maybe what I did in the end was kind of gave myself a timeline. I said, OK, I'm going to try this for three months. Just explore anything that I can just to see if there is something out there for me. And if you put a timeline on it, sometimes it feels less intimidating to take that step. And also knowing that, you know, any change you make is not permanent. Like we're always growing is maybe a bit reassuring. So I would always say do it. And just know that it's not the final decision ever. I think that's really solid advice. Yeah, and I like the timeline point as well. I think when you put a timeline on something, you actually end up getting a lot more done in that time than you thought you could. Absolutely. Fun. It's been fantastic to speak to you. Best of luck with Matchable Volunteering as you continue to grow and go from strength to strength. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please follow us on your podcast platform. If you'd like to appear on A Little Bit Radical or have an idea of someone we should speak to, please email podcast at standingongiants.com or get in touch with me on LinkedIn. You can search Rob Fawkes or search Standing on Giants and you'll find me there. Thank you very much and speak to you next time. (laughs) 